This Voice of the Arts podcast is made possible thanks to the Carnegie Museum of Art. You are listening to The Voice of the Arts, WQED-FM. I'm Jim Cunningham. Maestro Michael Gelfand is here from the Greenville Symphony Orchestra in Greenville, Pennsylvania, about to have the Beethoven Symphony No. 9 for the first time in how many years, Maestro? Well, the entire Beethoven Ninth Symphony, the first time in 94 years, the history of the orchestra. So great. You've done parts of it in the past, but this will be the first time that the entire symphony will be heard. In 2009, we did the finale, and actually we were scheduled to do this concert three years ago, almost to the day, but COVID shut it down. So it's really delightful that we were able to reschedule it now. Now, I'd like to know the details of how you are doing it. I mean, your orchestra, we spoke a few years ago about the amazing contribution of your orchestra to the cultural scene in, in the area. And uh, you have been in business for 94 years, but you have amazing soloists for this one and also a, a, a huge choir to put together. How did you get everything assembled? I'm, I think I'm very quietly persuasive. How's that? <laughs> uh, I, have, I have a lot of friends who are... Uh, wonderful singers and wonderful choral directors. And all I did was ask, and they jumped and said, yes. So that that's how it happened. Yeah. <laughs> and you have multiple choirs. I am remembering that the Westminster College Choir is one of them. Who else have you asked to participate? Well, well let's start with the choirs that are close to Greenville. First, we start with singers from Teal College, which I'm thrilled about. Then we have singers from Greenville High School. And then we have singers from one of the really uh, one of the real charming groups in the area, the Greenville Area Community Theater, which is commonly known as GAC. And we've performed with uh, all of these groups before. Then we also have a wonderful group coming from Westminster College. We have from Youngstown two groups. We have the Stambaugh Chorus and then also the uh, Dana Corral from Youngstown State University. So altogether, I think we've got about 120 singers. Over the last few years, there's been a change of regime at Teal. Do you know who's in charge of the choir at Teal now? Yes, it is Brianne Sampson. Brianne, I know because she's also at at YSU, and her husband, Nick, who is also a good friend, is in the trumpet section at uh, the Greenville Symphony, and he's the band director at Teal. Very good. And is it Ryan Keeling who directs the Westminster College Choir? Ryan Keeling, you probably know from Pittsburgh, because I think he's been uh, the conductor for the Mendelssohn Choir this year. Yes. Have you, I mean, I've I've met him and spoken to him, and I'm extremely impressed with this young man. (laughs) Yeah, he's a very talented musician. And uh, your, your soloists, who do you have? You mentioned that you were able to pull them together through your various connections, but uh, who do we have singing? Well, uh, Soprano is a dear friend of mine for many years and fellow uh, faculty member from Dana School, YSU, uh, Ms. Suk Yun. Uh, I've uh, had the good fortune of uh, having her in soloists with a variety of different orchestras over the year, and she's just a terrific uh, colleague, wonderful singer, and just extremely nice person. And let me add that that, that's the only kind of people I deal with, nice people. (laughs) That's the way to go, definitely. (laughs) Essential. Uh, Then we have a new singer to me who was recommended very highly, and her name is Timothy Williams. It sounds like a man's name, but it's Timothy Williams, and she comes from uh, Pennsylvania. Uh, She was a Metropolitan Opera National Council audition winner in Pittsburgh, 
and she she teaches also very impressive credentials. Yeah, and then the uh, the tenor is a fellow who I have heard sing before from the Cleveland area. His name is Brian Skoog, also with wonderful credentials. Matter of fact, I think I performed in a concert with him last year uh, in a Messiah nearby, and he was the tenor solo, and I was just blown away. It was fantastic. Yeah. So that's three. The other one is an old friend and colleague, Tom Skurich, baritone, bass. He uh, and I have uh, a long history having performed with uh, about three or four different orchestras together. He has soloists and also his wife. And there's a personal connection because he and his wife were classmates of my wife at uh, the Dana School of Music. So we have a, an old friendship going back. And our kids are also friends. So, you know, it's a long. So you see, this is the kind of thing when I just ask, they they all say yes. Tell me a little bit about where your players come from. I think it's fascinating. You have some from Greenville and some uh, from nearby, but they actually come from quite a wide range, if I recall. We do, and uh, you know, in in our area, there are three or four orchestras that all share players. We have the Greenville Symphony, the Butler Symphony, the Youngstown Symphony, the Warren Philharmonic the ones right in this immediate area. And we share players. Also, there are some, so you have people coming in from Butler, you have from Pittsburgh, you have from Youngstown, from Erie, you have from Cleveland, okay? And it's quite a distance that some of them drive, and it's amazing. They come, and, and we, we really have a nice time. Yeah. The sum total is a terrific ensemble, and Beethoven's Ninth is a challenge for any orchestra at any level. It, it is a challenge. And I have to tell you, I, I think every conductor who hasn't conducted it must have it on their bucket list because it is, you know, it, it is the one piece of music that has been written about the most in the world. And I think I even read recently about this psychological test that if people were asked, if you were stranded on a desert island for the rest of your life, what one piece of music would you take with you? And they say the Beethoven Ninth. Of course, how they had electricity on the island, I'm not sure, but this is the one thing that 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 is the answer and there's a reason for it this piece means so many things to so many people all over the world you know take one example for for instance leonard bernstein conducted it uh on christmas day after the fall of the berlin wall you know this this piece crosses humanitarian psychological it it, it, it is just you know, here I'm going on and on, but I'm pleased. Tell me. <laughs> no, I totally agree. And I, I, I it, it's amazing that it has become traditional to hear it in Tokyo. In Japan, it's done as a New Year's Eve celebration uh, year after year. I think that's a, a trend that we should get yeah. going in this country. And, you know, if you go on the street, if you walk up to anybody and say, do you know uh, any music by Beethoven? And they'll give you one of two things. They go, da 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 da, right? Or they go, dee da da dee da dee da. They'll give you one of the two, right? <clears throat> uh, for me, I feel the weight of this piece on my shoulders more than any other because it is a challenge for the orchestra. It, it is a challenge for the conductor. I've been rehearsing with the choirs. Um, for me, it's a challenge that I enjoy. You are reminding me, he is no longer with us, so we can talk about him. Our former music director in Pittsburgh, Andre Previn, at an emotional moment, was conducting the Beethoven Ninth Symphony, and I remember it clearly because we were broadcasting it live, but uh, he somehow lost his place 
and threw a cue to the choir to come in at the wrong moment. And luckily, the choir somehow, following the concertmaster, whatever, managed to keep it going without everything falling apart. And Andre later came backstage and apologized to the choir for throwing them the cue at the wrong moment. But because it's so dramatic and often is done on a special occasion, things can go awry if you're not careful. Things can go awry, and you reminded him of the situation. When I was very young, I, I was in an orchestra like Pittsburgh, Cleveland Orchestra, for a number of years. And the conductor put his lightning bolt cue to the cello section a measure too early, and nobody came in. So they were paying attention. <laughs> It sounds very much uh, very similar to what happened with the Mendelssohn and, and Andre Previn. So what is the basic message of this piece? We have Friedrich Schiller's text. What is the ode to joy about? What what are we joyous about here? It is about brotherhood. It's about a lot of emotional things. It is about uh, brotherhood, freedom, camaraderie, the human spirit. This piece seems to elevate us all to a, a different level. Uh, can I give you another example now? This is a, a rather tragic but meaningful example that I just learned about a half an hour ago. Uh, our One of our bassoonists' husbands died last night. And uh, she insists on playing the concert. This, this is, you see what I mean? This, this is, this is, uh, this is amazing. And, and if I talk to all the members of the auction and ask them, what does this mean to you? I will get 60 different answers to it. For me, I, I in places in this piece, it will be difficult to restrain tears coming to my eyes because it is just so moving, you know, uh, with or without the chorus. It's just all the way through. It's just uh, the most emotional experience I think I'm having with this piece of any piece I've had in my whole life. And are there any specific memories of performances of the ninth that you gave during your professional years with the Cleveland Orchestra or other orchestras you've played in? Uh, Cleveland, in particular, memorable because the great orchestra, the Cleveland Orchestra Chorus, is probably the same kind of chorus as the Mendelssohn Chorus. You know, wonderful chorus. But I have to tell you, the most meaningful ones for me have pretty much been a lot of the ones with the Greenville Symphony. And and the reason why, and I told you this before, is that Greenville is a small town of 6,6500 by all rights, which should not have a symphony orchestra too small. And yet they have a professional symphony orchestra that is very good. It's it's a unusual story in our whole country. What happens in Greenville? And I'm we have our first rehearsal tonight, and I'm I have goosebumps on top of my goosebumps getting ready for this rehearsal tonight. <laughs> Well, good good luck with it. That, that's for sure. But I have to ask you for just a little bit of reminiscing about some of your amazing experiences, having worked with Eric Kunzel in Cincinnati and Lauren Mazel in, in Cleveland. Uh, I think when we spoke last time, you, you mentioned you were with Lauren Mazel when he opened the Sydney Opera House and you were on tour in Australia. But I wonder if you could pick another concert or two from those two great maestros that you worked with. Eric Kunzel. Uh, I was a member of the Cincinnati Symphony for about 20 years, and uh, I played many concerts with him and other conductors, and he was the master, absolute master of the Pops concerts. Okay, and uh, I've conducted a lot of 
Pops concerts with him in mind because he he had such an act for it. He had such a way to connect with the audience that was very important for for that kind of situation. Right? There are many concerts at Music Hall and also at Riverbend, which is you know their summer home uh, in Cincinnati. Many concerts with them. Very good. Now Lauren Mazel, you know Strauss and Mahler, Bruckner. Uh, Wagner, just a master of all these pieces. I know, I know that you had experience with him for ten years. I think in Pittsburgh, and I'm sure I, you'll probably agree with that. Yeah, no question. Uh, when we spoke last time, I, I remember you saying about Lauren and his unusual personality. He, he had, I think, you said an enigmatic personality, and I thought that was really a perfect summary. When, when you think back to your work with Lauren Mazel, how would you summarize? what it was like to work with him. He had an unusual childhood. He was a child prodigy, so he was conducting Toscanini's orchestra at the World's Fair at age, what, nine, something like that. That that doesn't help with your development as you go along when you're a, a, a prodigy, and that may have been a piece of his personality. Uh, radio, he was great as an interview. He had a wonderful relationship with Lauren, but you talk yeah. musicians. Some musicians did not have a great relationship with uh, Lauren Mazel, it ranges all over the map. So if somebody said, oh, so what was it like working with Lauren Mazel? What's your summary? What's your take on Lauren? Well, well um, I understand when he came, his first day in the Cleveland Orchestra was my first day in the Cleveland Orchestra. And for the first hour of the rehearsal, the orchestra did not play a note. He gave a lecture to the orchestra because the orchestra was not in favor of hiring him. I think they had taken a vote. It was 102 against and two in favor. But, you know, the orchestra's vote really didn't count back then. So he came and basically said, I didn't seek this job. They they sought me. And the reason why I think they hired him is that he came with uh, an amazing amount of touring projects. And so for the couple of years that I was there, we did a lot of recording and a lot of touring. I will say during the period I was there, was not very receptive to him. But I think they appreciated uh, the tours and the recording, you know. And I, I think this has been a situation with other orchestras where the the, the musicians didn't uh, really like the conductor, but they benefited quite a bit from that particular conductor being there. Yeah, I've always wondered why the word was out in advance of Lauren Mazel's first day on the job, uh, how, how did how did the members of the Cleveland Orchestra on your first day and his first day already know that they were not inclined to be in favor of what was about to come? I think, if I recall, there was a lot of grumbling. But you know, the Cleveland, like Pittsburgh, these are the highest level professional musicians, and they'll put that aside and just play their best for whoever's on the podium. I, there was never, never. A word like, uh, oh, Mr. Marcel is there. Let's play badly for No, no, no. Everybody always did their best, always. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Cleveland has an extraordinary orchestra, and it has been recognized that way as one of America's great orchestras in the top five always, even though the city is not in the top five. How do you explain the greatness of the Cleveland Orchestra? You have to think of it from a historical perspective for when uh, George Sell was the music director there for about 20 years. He's the one who insisted on discipline, accuracy, musicianship, so that that orchestra played like a clock. 
together. And that, that is their reputation today. They are the most magnificent ensemble together playing, right? And he's the one who did that. Now, there was a, there was a downside to that, too. And you can read about it in several books. And that is, uh, he, he kept the musicians so much under his thumb that I think their salaries lagged behind all the other orchestras and benefits for a number of years. Yeah, because he had such an iron fist control. You know, if a musician would go in and ask for a raise, he, he would tell them, just leave now or you're going to get fired. Something like that. You hear stories about that. And this is the old school that can't exist today. <laughs> but it's interesting. Lauren came in and the members of the orchestra were unhappy about his arrival. But even the current music director, who's now been there for more than a decade, there's been a lot of controversy about Franz Welser. Most, uh, the critic for the Cleveland Plain Diener lost his job over his criticism of France. Uh, this was Don Rosenberg, and we knew Don because he was the Pittsburgh press critic in, in Pittsburgh, then he went to Cleveland, but he was fired at some point over his seemingly relentless criticism of Franz Felser Moose. In spite of it all, the quality of the playing in Cleveland has remained extremely high. It's fascinating to me. I was at the Folk Finds Music Shop in Pittsburgh. I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but they're French. Oh, oh, I, have, I have a big connection there. We've gotten instruments there from our kids for many years. Oh, great. Uh, Folk Finds uh, horn repairman is Ted Weir. Ted is the son of Chris Weir, who played in the Pittsburgh Symphony under Steinberg and Reiner. And we got onto the topic of Fritz Reiner. And Ted Weir said to me, whatever you've heard about Fritz Reiner, it's all true, only he was much worse than what you've heard. Yes. You cannot imagine. Okay, Beethoven, Ninth Symphony. What do the tickets cost me? Do you know? And this is an inexpensive ticket. Over, I think they're $20. And uh, students, young kids, all get in free. That's the policy of Teal College, which I think is a wonderful policy. And the our concerts are well attended, right? Uh, they're inexpensive to come to. And I know for a fact the audience always leaves in great spirits. <laughs> this is going to be an historic occasion and a joyful one with you. I am absolutely certain of that. Congratulations in advance, Maestro. Thank you so much. This Voice of the Arts podcast is made possible thanks to the Carnegie Museum of Art.